My name is Hedja Kovály. I was born in Prague. Uh, my father's name was Erwin Bloch. My mother was Marta and I had a brother, uh, George. My father had um, five sisters and my mother had a brother and a sister and um, there were a lot of children. And as far as I know, I am the only survivor. You're listening to Those Who Were There, Voices from the Holocaust, a podcast that draws on recorded interviews from Yale University's Fortunoff Video Archive for Holocaust Testimonies. I'm Eleanor Risa. It's July 22, 1980, and Hedda Cavalli is sharing her story with interviewer Laurel Vlock in a television studio in Boston, Massachusetts. Hedda is an elegantly dressed woman with high cheekbones, hazel eyes, and blonde, wavy hair. She wears a tailored, cream-colored blouse. A thin gold chain loops just beneath her clipped-on microphone. She holds a balled-up tissue in her right hand. In October 1941, shortly after Hedda's 22nd birthday, the Nazis ordered a mass deportation of Jews from the Czechoslovakian capital, Prague. Up until then, Prague had one of the largest and oldest Jewish communities in Europe. Hedda, her parents, and her husband along with thousands of other Jews, were held in Prague's Exposition Hall for two days before being transported to the Ludge Ghetto in Poland. It was the first taste we had of uh, this incredible thing of all of a sudden not being free, not being able to move around, not even being able to lay down because there was no room. There was a woman I knew, an older woman, uh, who went completely crazy. Uh, there were babies. Um, there were people very sick who died there, right there. It took us several days to get to uh, watch. How did you get there? Did you have to march there, walk there? We went by train. I only remember these horrible screams. Um, because they always they used to come from outside into the into the wagon and they slammed the doors and sometimes they hurt people's fingers or, or they took someone out of the of the train and they beat them up and that was the first time I heard people screaming with pain. Uh, so everybody was dreadfully thirsty and they let us uh, get out of the train uh, to bring some water. The young people, so they said out and get the water. And I remember how I got out of the, of the drain and there was some, uh, a pile of gravel and there was this beautiful flower growing out of, of this mess and it was a purple, beautiful, gorgeous flower. And I thought, this is the last flower I'm going to see. So we came to uh, 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 watch, it was um, October, and um, we walked from the station and then uh, for the first time we saw 
the Polish Jews already there, uh, barefooted in the snow, uh, looking dreadfully uh, undernourished and uh, sick. Lawrence had the part of the slummy part of the town. They made a, this uh, wall around it. It was a ghetto. There were uh, German soldiers guarding it day and night. And there was this uh, wall. It was just wooden, part wooden, part uh, um, brick walls. But nobody could leave. You couldn't escape, and that it was so claustrophobic, and there was absolutely uh, not enough food. Uh, first, people uh, got. Um, uh, these uh, dreadful edemas, the, uh, the swollen feet, and um, then they got uh, tuberculosis, then it was meningitis. Uh, people died very... And the funny thing is the uh, first to die were the strong young men, because they needed more nourishment than the thin girls. People were shot, people were executed. Uh, they executed... I don't know how many people, because I never had the courage to go and look. They let them hang on the square for several days. My mother went there because she said someone has to pray for them. From time to time, the Germans came and they took people away. Sometimes uh, they only took old people and sometimes they took children. And uh, the worst was in the spring of 43, I think. Uh, the Germans uh, said we should we shall all go where we live. Uh, nobody goes out, and um, it took several days. Many people died because uh, um, they couldn't get anything to eat. Most uh, our main nourishment was the soup we received on the place where we worked. It was usually turnip. And when we couldn't go to work, we didn't get anything to eat. So many people died at the time. And uh, the Germans went from uh, one place to the other, and uh, there was this always this officer, a German officer, uh, who said, this person goes this way, and this go person goes back. And they took all the old people and the children and took them away. Most of the children were taken away at this one big uh, transportation of the Jews to, the, to Auschwitz. And I was very uh, worried about my parents, but um, they somehow managed to... We were lucky in this way. They survived even this. Uh, and after it was over, the Germans said, now everybody can go out. You can leave your homes and go out. And so, of course, uh, people were starved to death, and they went out and tried to get something to eat somewhere. We even ate grass and things like that. And uh, when uh, so many people were on the streets, they came back and started shooting. And I thought, my God, father, mother, they ran home and. Uh, the shots just were, you know, all over me. I don't know how I got, made it home, but my parents did it too. They made it home too. <laughs> and then something very funny happened to me because the next day 
I got some stuff that we could eat. And uh, there were such places where you could cook something, because you didn't have any heat at home. And in a, at large, uh, whenever there were Germans walking through the streets, all the Jews were supposed to clear away and not be on the sidewalk. Men sh uh, had to take off their heads. Women should uh, bow and leave them with the sidewalk. And I was walking <laughs> with this pan in my, in my both hands, full of water and some, some grass or turnip or whatever I got. And there were these three Germans who uh, came to me walking through the street. And I thought, well, if I do it, I really am a Schweinehund. I'm really less than human. I won't do it. And so I walked with the pot in my hands. And they were so surprised that they let me go. They, they gave, gave way to me. They stood, looked after me, and I walked <laughs> like a machine. And uh, they let me go. Usually they shot you. When they took you to Auschwitz, do you remember the trip and what, why did you finally have to go? Uh, uh, I think that the, uh, pro the, the Germans had to face a problem. Uh, the front, the Russians, were actually very close at that time, and they didn't want any trouble in large. So um, they sent uh, the generals to talk to us. Or maybe he was the general, was a colonel, I don't know, but he had a beautiful uniform full of gold and all that. And he, uh, we were gathered at the main square, and he said, Ich gebe euch mein Ehrenwort eines deutschen Offiziers. I give you my word of honor of a German officer, officer that nothing is going to happen to you. You are going to be moved to a safer, better place. You'll stay together, and there is no reason to uh, panic or to, to, to start anything. You'll be better off than you are now. And that was the moment when my father said, okay, you don't know what it means, a word of honor for a German officer. They can't break a word of honor. The trip to Auschwitz was just the most horrible thing. It was hot. They didn't let people out. The people were dying. They didn't let anybody out to go to the bathroom. It was a nightmare. And at the end of the nightmare, we were in Auschwitz, and uh, we went out of, the, out of the train. Right there, they started dividing women from men, and uh, I only could see my father's face, and he said, take care of mother, and that was all. You know, I didn't see him walking away. It was just such a crowd, you see. And um, we walked hand in hand with my mother, and there was Dr. Mengele, and he showed my mother to the right side, and. To, and I wanted to go with her. And there was a soldier, and he threw me to, to the ground and said, you stay here. And I said, what, where are these people going? What's going to happen to them? And he said, don't be hysterical. In a few hours, you are going to see them again. 
I don't know how long I was in Auschwitz. It's all like a nightmare. It's I only see very vividly. I can I can see pictures like in a movie. You know, I can see details, but there is no connection. I remember one night. I crawled out of the barracks. Everybody was asleep, and there were these gorgeous nights. You know, it was summertime. It was hot at night. It was cool, and these stars, these beautiful stars, and the virus made the sound. It was like in, like music, you know. And I was lying there in the dirt, and there were the stars, and there was this music. And uh, I, I remember this girl who was ordered to sing, and she did. It was something like, um, "Das Idel mit dem Fiedel, der Heike mit dem Bass, spiel mir a paar mitten in der Gasse." Why did you have to sing? Why because the uh, couple said she wanted um, us to be happy. She wanted the barrack to be happy. I think it was the most dreadful thing for her to stand there in this horror. Probably her mother, father, everybody killed her and she had to sing. At least we didn't have to sing. I remember the last uh, day. Um, they said if um, if a train comes um, uh, during the night or the next morning, we will go in another concentration camp. If the train doesn't come, we will go to the gas chambers. And the last um, uh, night, I couldn't think about anything except my mother, my mama. It was again such a beautiful night, and I remember sitting on the ground, and I remember how I held up my hand, and there was this big, um, you know, the dandelions, and it came to me, and it landed on my hand, and I thought, my mother, she's here. I think maybe she just died that moment. And it was very strange how I got out of Auschwitz, if you want to hear that. That's quite funny. But next day, the train came, and, um, um, and so then we walked five abreast to the to the train. And the most important thing in, in the concentration camps was to keep five together always, because if you didn't, no, nobody knew what was going to happen to you. Everybody, all the old timers, told us stay five together always. So we marched, and all of a sudden I saw we were not five but six. A girl who was in front sort of got panic and ran and stood in my row, so that uh, we were, instead of uh, five, we were six. And someone gave, gave me a show from, from, from the back, and I started running. And uh, all of a sudden someone took my hand and uh, drove me into the row from which this girl ran away, because there were only four there, and they took me in. They counted the girls who are going to be in the 
go into the train and they stopped in front of me. I was the first row to stay behind. And uh, they all started shouting, turn around and so on. And from the train, that uh, girl fainted. And uh, the German soldier said, another, another piece, they always stick, another piece. So uh, since I was the first, I went. That's how I got out of Auschwitz. Listen, it was all chance. Some people died, some people were killed, some people survived. There is no way to say, uh, I survived because. You can kid yourself into believing that you are more tough, or more, more uh, 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 stronger, or there was something special about you. No, you were luckier than the other. And I seem to have been in this way lucky, but it wasn't so easy to have lost everybody. I think everybody who survived the way I did, um, we sort of uh, don't feel at home in this world anymore because um, you never forget, but you learn to live with it. And that sets you apart from other people. Not that you can't enjoy yourself, on the contrary. And I am happy, I am so happy, because I know how horrible, unhappy I can be. But there is a certain it's like a music in the background. You never get rid of it. After Auschwitz, Hedda Cavalli was transported to another concentration camp where she worked in a brickyard. Toward the end of the war, she and her fellow prisoners were taken on a forced march out of Poland and across Germany. That's when Hedda escaped and made her way back to Prague. It was February 1945, and Prague was still occupied by the Nazis. Hedda went door to door asking her former friends and neighbors for help, but they refused. Too terrified to be caught sheltering a Jew. Finally, a friend connected her with the Czech resistance, and they helped her hide until the war's end. After the war, Hedda was reunited with her husband, Rudolf Margolius. Rudolf joined the Communist Party and was given a prominent post when the Communists took power in 1948. Four years later, he was one of 14 party members accused of anti-state conspiracy. Eleven of the accused were Jews, Rudolf was executed. Hedda and her second husband later emigrated to the United States, where Hedda worked as a writer and translator and as a reference librarian at Harvard University. After nearly three decades in America, they returned to Prague. Hedda died there on December 5th, 2010. She was 91 and was survived by her son and five grandchildren. To learn more about Hedda Kovali's remarkable life story, please visit thosewhowerethere.org. That's where you'll find additional background information, photographs, and a link to Hedda's memoir, Under a Cruel Star. To hear more from those who were there, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to thosewhowerethere.org.
Those Who Were There is a production of the Fortunoff Video Archive for Holocaust Testimonies, which is housed at Yale University Library's Manuscripts and Archives Department. This podcast is produced by Nahani Rouse, Eric Marcus, and the Archives Director, Stephen Naren. Thank you to audio engineer Jeff Town and to Christy Tomachek, Joshua Green, and Inga Detaya for their assistance. Thanks as well to Sam Cassow for historical oversight and to our social media team, Christiana Pena and Nick Porter. Leova Gerbin composed our theme music. Special thanks to the Fortunoff family and other donors to the archive for their financial support. I'm Eleanor Risa. Thank you for listening.